You know, on, on Friday, we remembered Christ's death. We looked at it specifically in Matthew chapters 26 and 27, which is where we'll pick up toward the end of Matthew 27 this morning, celebrating Christ's re resurrection, his victory over death. He suffered the death for us on our behalf, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He suffered death. He tasted death for us. And we examined those three aspects of his death, um, beginning in that Garden of Gethsemane, where he experienced that sorrow. Matthew 26, 38 tells us, sorrow unto death, emotional death, and especially because he sensed the separation that was about to take place between him and the disciples with whom he had such a close bond. And yet he told them, of course, of that coming separation, and yet they still failed him. They still forsook him, betrayed him, denied him. Only one that we know have, one of the disciples and as told us in the Gospel of John, John himself followed Jesus to the cross and uh, with the women witnessed his death. And Jesus also, of course, suffered, suffered a, very, um, a very violent, uh, agonizing death uh, physically. Uh, he went through pain he, and uh, was, was stricken for our iniquities, for our sins. He bled his stripes. It is by his stripes we are healed. And his wounds were for our transgressions, as we looked at Friday night in Isaiah 53 and several other passages that we examined. He also experienced that spiritual separation on the cross from his father where he cried out in anguish on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Feeling a spiritual separation and separating himself from his own powers where he could have removed himself from the cross. He could have called on angels to save him, but he laid down his life of his own free will. He is our mighty God. He is the Almighty, the Lord of hosts, and he was very strong so that when everyone forsook him, when no one else could stand up, he stood up and took the blow. He took the hit for us. He took death upon himself for us and stood in the gap for us, bridging the gap between us and God with his cross, with his death. We looked at that and all the aspects regarding his death on Friday. And we had a small, small group that remembered that event also with the Lord's Supper as Jesus did with his 12 disciples the night before he sacrificed his body and his blood for us. But this morning, this morning we're here to celebrate the victory because Jesus was not any man. He is God. And he is alive today. And he's preparing a place for us in heaven. He didn't die and go to heaven. He died. He rose again three days later. And then he... 40 days after being with his disciples and 500 plus witnesses, he ascended to his father where he now commissions us 
to take that message of his death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday each year, to take that message to the world and to admonish one another and teach one another everything that Jesus taught us by his life, by his words, by his prophecies that he fulfilled and everything in this book in your Bibles. And I invite you to take your Bibles this morning to, and there are Bibles in the hymnals, in the, uh, in, next to the hymnals in your pews. I invite you to, to look with me or if you have the Bible app on your phone or tablet to join me this morning in Matthew chapter 27. Well, we're beginning at verse 55. In this passage, Matthew 27 and Matthew 28 to this morning, we will turn our attention now to five responses that we find to the message of Christ's resurrection. And what is your response? What should our response be to the resurrection? And this is re will remind us of that this morning by examining the five actual responses that we do find in this passage this morning. If you look with me, starting at verse 55, and going on uh, down to verse 66 with me, me this morning, we'll be looking at, first of all, the first response that we find to the message of Christ's resurrection was a response of Christ's enemies who did not forget the message of his resurrection. They remembered what Jesus had told them. They remembered what Jesus had told his disciples. And even though his enemies are the ones who brought about the death of Christ physically, they physically, uh, with the help of Judas, who betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the middle of the night, they arrested him because they were too afraid to do it in public. They were too afraid to cause a riot because of all the popular support Jesus had that we looked at last Sunday on Palm Sunday in Matthew chapter 26, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 22, I believe it was, uh, last week. And they took him in the middle of the night. They held an illegal trial in the Sanhedrin, very likely with only the members there who, of the Sanhedrin who were dead set against Jesus and determined to kill him as Caiaphas, the high priest, had plotted. And then after condemning him on the count of blasphemy because they asked Jesus if he was the promised one, the Messiah, the Son of God, and he said yes. And that they would one day see him coming in the clouds of heaven with his angels and they cried blasphemy. They rejected him as a Messiah, which as we looked at on Friday, must have hurt Jesus more than the physical slaps in the face that he endured immediately following that as they spit on him and said, if you are the Messiah, tell us who hit you. And they blindfolded him. But they rejected him as a Messiah. Yet they did remember. They did remember his message of a resurrection. 
They brought him to Pilate. They moved the crowd to call for his crucifixion. They moved Pilate, convincing him that anything less than Christ's death would simply be a betrayal of Caesar and that a riot might ensue. And Pilate, willing to make the sacrifice, washed his hands of the matter and said, his blood's on you. He believed he was an innocent man, but he was willing to kill an innocent man. Of course, not believing that this was the Son of God, not realizing that God was allowing this, even moving through this, to redeem mankind through the death of his son. Because Jesus was not any man. He's God. He has eternal life. He pre-existed. He had no beginning and no end. Pre-existed his birth as from, that we celebrate at Christmas of the virgin birth. And because of that, his death counts for an eternity, for an unlimited number of deaths for mankind on the behalf of each of us who are willing, who confess that we need that, that we need someone to pay the price for our sin, to wash us in his blood of his sacrifice, as you heard sung so well a few moments ago. But to prove that he was that eternal God, to prove that he had that power to redeem us, he had to rise from the dead. To prove that he is truly the Messiah, not a false prophet who was crucified for blasphemy by the, you know, having the Jews accuse Jesus of claiming to be a king falsely and take him to the Romans and had him crucified, on that, hung on that cross, his hands and feet pierced. To prove this, that this... He was the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He had to rise from the dead. Next week, we're going to continue our study of 1 Corinthians, and we'll look at 1 Corinthians 15. Why the resurrection is so important. Why it's so important that he showed himself to his disciples and 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses. The message of the resurrection is vital, and his enemies realized it, and they remembered the message. Let's look at the enemy's memory of his message, starting at verse 55, immediately following his death. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. And when even was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, that the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees, Jesus' enemies, the very ones who brought about his death, but only by the will of God, only as he willed it and laid down his life and gave it up for us. They came together unto Pilate, verse 63, saying, Sir, 
We remember. Notice, they remember the message of the resurrection. We remember that the deceiver, so they don't believe him. They remember the message, but they don't believe it. They call Jesus a deceiver. We remember that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. They remembered the message of the resurrection. They rejected it. They said, he's a deceiver. He said, he said I will rise again. They remembered the message, but they rejected it. They didn't believe it. They could not accept it. But they wanted to make absolutely sure that they took every precaution to make sure no one could falsely claim that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. They wanted to resist that story. They wanted to do everything they can to preclude it from happening. But of course, their resistance to Christ's resurrection is futile because Christ's resurrection, whether they wanted to believe it or not, is a reality. And it was going to happen no matter what they did. They couldn't prevent it. They didn't believe it, so they thought, well, we'll just make sure no one can say that it actually happened, that that legend cannot go on and continue. But by taking the precautions they go through, which is procuring a guard from Pilate and having the tomb sealed and watched for that third day to make sure that no one would tamper with the body and take it away and claim that Jesus had risen. They wanted to make sure, but by doing that, they give further testimony of what really happens because they have eyewitnesses there to see it. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 64. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. They didn't want the legend of Jesus to live on, okay? And he's not just a legend, he is our Lord. We know that. But they were afraid of the story getting out that Jesus is risen. And they, of course, did not believe it. So they wanted to preclude it. They wanted to make sure it would not happen, that there would not be such a message continuing on. Verse 65, Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. They will do everything they can to make sure the message of the resurrection does not continue. But they cannot do so. They cannot stand in the way. Verse 66. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. That is the first response to the message of the resurrection this morning of Christ's enemies, remembering what he said, but rejecting it, not believing it, and doing everything they could to resist that message. But it was futile. The second response we find in our passage this morning, in, now in Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, is the response of Christ's disciples, who, unlike his enemies, did not remember. They forgot the message of the resurrection and had to be reminded. And they had to be confronted with the evidence 
before they would believe the message of the resurrection. Let's look at their response to provide some, some, the, the context here. If you would uh, keep your finger there with me at Matthew 28, but also go back. We'll just stay in the book of Matthew. We could look at the other three Gospels as well, but we'll just stay with Matthew and look back to Matthew chapter 16, if you would, with me. Uh, if, you, if you can look back to Matthew 16, or you can keep where you are in Matthew 28, and I will read it for you. Matthew 16, verse 21. This is fo immediately following the confession by Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. Again, last week we mentioned Messiah is the Jewish word for promised one. The Greek word for promised one is Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, it is his title. He is the promised one. The promised one in the Old Testament that would come and make a way to reconcile God and man that had been separated since Adam and Eve in the garden sinned. And ever since man had sinned and died. And now a way was being made by the promised one to bring about an end to death, to bring about a... a reconciling of God and man, bringing them together by conquering death and sin. The Messiah would do that, the promised one, the Christ, and that is Jesus. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, if you would go with me to Matthew chapter 20, and I, and I believe we, I showed you this last week as well on Palm Sunday, if you were with us, Matthew 20, verse 17 through 19. Uh, just before entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus reminded his disciples of what was about to take place. In Matthew 20, verse 17, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Because he, he is God, he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he is going to allow it to happen. It's all part of his plan of redemption for man. And he's letting his disciples know. He's giving them the message of the resurrection ahead of time, but they fail to remember it. Even though his enemies remember it, they forget and will need to be reminded and face the evidence one more passage before we come back to our passage in 28. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses 31 and 32. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, or shortly after leaving the upper room, as they go out to the Mount of Olives following the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Verse 31 of Matthew 26. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock. That's Jesus. 
And the sheep of the uh, Jesus is the shepherd. The sheep are his disciples. And the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. He even gives more information now. He's telling them where you're going to meet me after I rise from the dead. They should remember that, but they don't. They forget and they have to be reminded. Now let's go to our passage in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, starting at verse 1. That morning, that Sunday morning, again, to the Jews, a day and a night was one unit, one, as we call it, 24-hour units. And their days and nights would begin at sunset of the previous night and end at sunset of the next night. So the day of Christ's sacrifice, Good Friday, actually began on Thursday night, and that is the night that he ate the Passover meal, the, the Last Supper with his disciples, and they went to Gethsemane, then go to the secret trial, and then he's put in prison, he's taken to Pilate, and then that, later that morning, about 9 o'clock in the morning, he's hung on the cross on Friday and dies and is buried and dies by 4 o'clock, taken down off the cross before sunset and is put in the grave. And because he's in the grave for part of that Thursday night to Friday afternoon period, that counts as the first day and the night. And then he is, as we talked about Friday night, by sunset of what is the Jewish Sabbath, day of rest. No work can be done. He's put in the grave. They can't bring spices to him and uh, make sure he smells good as the body would decompose. They expect, of course, he's not going to. And they can't do that because it's the Sabbath day. So for fr uh, Friday night, which is a Jewish Saturday begins Friday night after sunset. That's the Sabbath day, seventh day. No work can be done. He is in that grave all day Saturday. Set Friday night, Saturday. That's the second day and the night. And then the third day and night period begins Saturday night after sunset, which to the Jews is the first day of the week beginning after sunset. And he is in the grave throughout the night until sometime before sunrise on the third day. On the third day, which still counts as a... If you're, just as if we had three cups up here, one presenting each cup, and you pour a little water in each of them, and the one cup is full, and that's Saturday. The other cup just have a little bit of water in it, but he's still in the grave for those days. So it's the third day, he's in the grave. That is the morning now the women come back, because they could not. There wasn't enough time before sunset on Friday, beginning of the Jewish Sabbath, Friday night, to bring the spices. The women come to bring those perfumes to his body. Apparently not even knowing the Romans have set a guard and that they won't be allowed to enter the tomb anyway. And in another passage, we're told they're wondering who is going to roll the stone away for them. It's very heavy. How are they going to actually get in? But they're coming faithfully, bringing these spices, spices, not knowing, not remembering that Jesus said he would rise the third day. And his disciples are in hiding. They're not even coming with the women to help roll away the stone so that there can be spices on the body. They have all forgotten the message of the resurrection. So look at verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 1 now with me. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And 
And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, notice, as he said. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, which remember Jesus told him. That's where he's going to meet them after he rises. I'm going to go before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. The angel had to tell them because they forgot the message that Jesus himself told them. And notice also, Jesus wasn't there when the angel rolled the, the stone away because sometime before dawn, he had already gone through the walls of that tomb. He did not have to roll away the stone to get out. His body could go through walls, as we see in other passages in the Gospels, where he would, the doors would be locked and he appeared in the midst with his disciples during the 40 days that he was on earth after his resurrection. He was already gone. The stone was rolled away to let everyone else, including the guards and the women, and then later Peter and John, as we're told in the book of John, would come and look in and see that he's not there. The stone was rolled away just to reveal what had already happened. He is gone. He is risen. He is not here. As he said. So the message had to be given again. It had to be reminded. The evidence had to be brought to Jesus' followers, to the women and to his disciples. And they had to be told. Look at verse 8. And they departed quickly with the uh, from the sepulcher and with fear and great joy did run to bring his disciples' word. Now they do believe the message. Now that the angels have told them, now that they've seen the empty grave, they do believe. Now, as we'll see later, not all the disciples believe at this point. In another passage, we're told of doubting Thomas, who doesn't, will not believe until he can place his finger in the nails, nail prints in Jesus' hands and feet, in his hand in the side of Jesus. But he will, when he is confronted with that evidence, acknowledge my Lord and my God and worship Jesus. Now look at verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. So Jesus now, the resurrected Christ, meets them. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Which is another response we'll look at again in this passage of worship. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren. And they go into Galilee. That they go into Galilee. And they shall... they." And there shall they see me. Again, the angel has told them, Jesus told them before he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he told his disciples. And uh, again, he told his disciples as they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them exactly what was going to happen. He was going to die, rise again the third day, and go to Galilee to meet them there. Then the angel had to tell the women that Jesus himself told them. And they had, they had to be reminded, they had to be confronted with the evidence the, that is the second response we find. The third response to the message of the resurrection we find with the guards and the elders. The guards also saw, they, I'm not sure if they heard the angels' voices or not, probably not, but they at least saw what happened and they knew Jesus' body was not stolen. They knew he was gone Perhaps they didn't believe it, couldn't understand it, but 
they do decide to lie. When confronted with this truth of the resurrection, this message of the resurrection, the guards and the elders refuse to accept the reality, to accept the truth, and instead tell a lie, rejecting and propagating a lie that has been given down through the ages and resulted in numerous Jews dying and going to hell, as well as others who have been caught up in that lie. The lie that says that Jesus did not rise from the, de rise from the dead, but rather gives some kind of physical explanation. And there are other physical explanations that are given out there that are all lies. But here's the one that's given by the guards and elders. Look at verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. All the things that were done. They told them. They saw all the things that were done. And they told them in verse 12, and when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, so they discussed this. That's when we get into trouble, well, when we bring our own ideas and our own imaginations to the table rather than God's truth. And they gave large money. Large money. That's, that's a problem as well. How often does money come between us and what we should do or want or listen to or believe? Money clouds the picture for these guards. And they're willing to sell out sell their soul to the devil here because the devil is ultimately the one behind lies such as this. Verse 13, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. That's not true. That's not true. But it's an explanation, a physical explanation that perhaps people will accept. A lie that perhaps people will believe and they do to some ex many people. Deceived. Verse 14, and if this came to the governor, if this come to the governor's ear, because of course it'd be a death penalty for falling asleep while you're guarding. If it come to the governor's ear, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. And I know there's a, a decent movie that's been made about this uh, called Risen. And in that movie, the way they portray it is that... Uh, Pilate's persuaded to spare the guards for the sake of not letting the Jews believe that their, that their Messiah could still exist. But rather, let's let this lie go out and to calm things down. People won't believe that there's a Messiah because they'll hear the testimony of the guards and, and accept that and believe that there's a physical explanation. Don't believe the word that Jesus is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. Believe that his body was stolen. And so verse 15 tells us it's commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. And that lie was used by Satan as all lies are for his ends, for his purposes, to keep people from believing the truth of the message of Christ's resurrection. Then we come to our fourth response this morning, Easter morning, to Christ, the message of Christ's resurrection. And that response is of worship. We already saw it with his disciples and the women. They worshipped him when they saw the risen Savior. We already saw it. But now we see it again. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed him. Notice they're submitting themselves to God's will. They're doing what he said. They're believing he is resurrected. Otherwise, why would they do what he had said if they just thought they saw a ghost or were dreaming? Of course, they believe it. They've seen it. And they believe and they 
submit themselves to Jesus and they worship him. Look at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Notice it's the 11 disciples. Some among the 11 disciples doubted. Of course, in the book of John, we're told exactly how Thomas doubted. And until it came to the point where he actually put his hands or was able to see Jesus physically, uh, saying he would not believe until he put, could put his hands in the prints of the nails. But he, when confronted with the evidence, he too believed. And those who had doubts, by the day of Pentecost, when they're sitting in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes and they go out with their commission, with their message for the world of Jesus' resurrection and the good news and everything Jesus had taught them, they will be firm believers. But at this point, there's still some doubts, even, even with them. But they do worship Jesus, the fourth response. The fifth response to the message of Christ's resurrection is to go and to teach that message. To go and to teach that message. Notice verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All powers, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So this is a promise for us to claim today. There is a response for us here today. Of course, we should worship Jesus. In everything we do and say, we should worship him. We should honor him. But we also have this commission to take the message of the resurrection, to go and to teach that message in everything that Jesus commanded. We have his authority. All power is given to him in heaven and in earth. We have his authority, his power, and his presence with us. Do we live in that presence? Do we live in that power and do we obey that command, that commission, that response to the message of his resurrection by taking, by going and teaching all people, all nations, what the word nations mean, all peoples, all people groups. We've looked at five responses this morning. Responses we can learn from. Responses that, some of those responses are, are still out there today. People still resist the message of the resurrection. And refuse to believe it, refuse to accept it. Some people still forget, even as believers, even his disciples, sometimes we forget, we fail to remember the power of the resurrection. The promises that we have in scripture. And day to day, we should live in that power. Live according to the fact that Jesus has defeated death for us. That, you know, yesterday we had a funeral. And uh, that was Pastor Netzer, a longtime pastor here. For 46 years, the pastor. And his son passed away at age 51 of a cancer that he battled for four years. And... Last Sunday, he went home to be with the Lord. But he is alive because of Christ's resurrection. And because of Christ's resurrection, all who put their faith in Jesus will one day live forever with him. And all that fall asleep in Christ, who pass from this life, in that faith, they are present, absent from the body, but present 
with the Lord today? Do we live in that power that we, we don't live without hope? We have an understanding of the truth of the resurrection and that Jesus conquered death for us. And we live in that power every day. If God can conquer our death and we can trust God that one day we'll be in heaven with him, can't we trust him for every other problem, every other issue, even battles with sins, anything, decisions we have to make, hardships we go through, physical pain, suffering, diseases that we face. God gives us the power to overcome. And he gives us the ultimate example through his son who conquered death for us. He endured so much on our behalf. And because of his power, we know that we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ. There's a power of his death and burial and resurrection on our behalf. Do we live each day in light of that truth, in light of the message of the resurrection? Are we worshiping him as the disciples did, not forgetting, not resisting, not believing the lies that Satan wants you to believe, but worshiping him, and then finally, not just stopping at believing for yourself, but going and teaching others that message of the resurrection? You know, on Good Friday, we, we played a video. And that video challenged us to be his church that does not end. That God is looking for those of us who would serve him and take his message to the world. That we will stand in the gap. That we would, as Christ is our intercessor, go on behalf of those who are lost and those fellow believers who need strengthening, who need encouragement and take the message, the power of the resurrection to this world and to one another. Let's bow for prayer.